welcome to a very special episode of Now and Then, Flato Academy Theater. Actually, this episode is no more very special than any of our other episodes, but someone told me if I said it was a very special episode, I would grab the listener's attention right off the bat. My name is Randy Reed, and I will be your tour guide through this next little while, bringing you interesting stories and introducing you to fascinating folks who all have a connection to the true star of this production, Flato Academy Theater. So, let's jump right in. Oh, hello, Mary. So nice to have you drop by. Hi, Randy. Happy March. For those who may not know or just joining us, this is our resident ghost, Mary, who has taken up residence in the theater since 1893. What are you up to, my dear? Well, I just wanted to mention that the month of March is one of my personal favorites. It not only includes the first day of spring, but March 17th is St. Patrick's Day. Woohoo! Not just here, but around the world, folks wear their best green, sing some great songs, and have a wee shot of Irish whiskey or green beer and celebrate all things Irish. A large part of my family were Irish, and so it's always been a special day for us. Mary, I think for your monthly solo, you should really think about doing an Irish tune. What do you think? A fine idea. Great. We'll check back with you later to hear what you've chosen. And by the way, before you fly off, do you want to know who's coming up on this episode? Oh, yes, please. We'll be hearing from our regulars, Ian McKechnie and Craig Metcalf. We'll also continue our chat with the wonderful Doug Tangney. And you will meet, through me... My dear old dad, Alexander Ragtime Reed, and as a special treat, I will be chatting with Randy Reed. Excuse me? One of our guests is Randy Reed. But you're always on these podcasts. You'll be talking to yourself? I will be speaking with Randy Reed. You'll have to stay tuned to find out how that works. Well, now I'm confused, but I'll certainly be listening. Take care, Mary, and we'll talk later in the show. That was my dad, Alec Reed, playing one of the many ragtime tunes that he used to propel him through a career as a professional entertainer for about 40 years. He was classically trained and loved to play all types of music, but he developed quite a reputation as a honky-tonk piano player. His stage name became Alexander Ragtime Reed. If he were still with us today, he would be celebrating his 100th birthday this month so I thought I would do a short tribute to him since he was the guy that first introduced me to the Academy Theater. During many summers when I was a lad, my family would come up to a boys' camp on Balsam Lake called Camp Kagawong. My dad was a counselor, and I started off as a camper and then became a counselor in my teen years. During the 1960s, Tommy Hunter would do his CBC radio show from the Academy, and my dad was often a guest on one of those broadcasts. Dad would bring me to some of the taping sessions, and I got a chance to experience the wonderful building firsthand. 
I had never been in such a beautiful theater before, and I can remember being quite impressed by its aura. Prior to the taping sessions, I would sit in one of the small dressing rooms behind the stage and listen to all the musicians warm up. They were all really talented players, and they would usually end up playing a couple of jazz tunes during warm-up, which was quite a departure from the country tunes that they would play on the show. So that was my introduction to the Academy Theater, thanks to dear old dad. Happy birthday, and thanks for everything. I have the utmost respect for anyone who can make a living in the arts, whether it's dance or drama or music or visual arts, you name it. It's a tough road to hoe if that's the way you want to make your living. Last month, we introduced you to a gentleman by the name of Doug Tangney, who has been a professional actor in this country for over 40 years. And he is one of those people who... Uh, you may not have heard of Doug as an actor, but he has been out there doing what he loves to do. He is passionate about it. Uh, last month, we brought you the first part of our chat with Doug, and this month, we're happy to present uh, the second half of our conversation. So here, once again, Mr. Doug Tangney. It was amazing, and what they learned in four days, and... Um, one set would be going down and the other would be going up, you know, a show a week. And the people were enjoying it. There was, you could hear the laughter, you know, for, and when you were backstage. It was wonderful. But uh, uh, I can remember a half hour before we opened, um, it might have been Ray Marshall, I'm not sure, back in those days. But anyway, um, the director, uh, the director assistant said, I know you sit down on the, on the window ledge. Will you do your little speech? I only had 28 lines. I was just an apprentice, that's mm -hmm. what they call it. But Dennis had given me this part, and then I enjoyed it, and glad to be part of it, you know. Ellie said, uh, I know you get the speech by the window, but you can't anymore. You can't sit in the window, because we just painted it. And this is half hour before we opened. So, I mean, things just went up and went down and went up, and they were painting the set half an hour before we opened. Crazy. And he said... You know, if you sit down, your pants are the same color as the set. It was that kind of thing. The you chaos know? must have been just... That kind of... But it brought a spontaneity. And as I watched the actors, I thought uh, they'd be in terror. But they were excited mm -hmm. about this kind of challenge, seeing if they could meet it. Sure. And yeah. once they got going and the people started to laugh and so on, and away they went. And then, of course... You got to Friday, you had to tear the set down because Tommy Hunter was coming in to right. do the country show. Yeah. As I say, he was a major star at the oh, time. Oh, sure, yeah. Big star at the time. So he had the Academy stage Friday nights for CBC, and they taped, uh, taped the Tommy Hunter show. So all we had had to be put at the back and covered with a black curtain. And then Saturday afternoon, we'd be back to do the matinee and the night show. Yeah. You know, so it just moved, moved, and as soon as that show was through, they tore that set down and put up the next set. Wow. And like I say, the, the paint might be wet. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how quickly it went. But the, um, 
I asked most of the directors and most of the, of the lead actors if I could stay in the corner during rehearsal. Because often when you were through your part, you just left. Right. But I had this little hunger for what these people were doing. And a fascination and an awe. And the majority of them said, yeah, fine, because they said, we don't even see or hear you back there. And I watched the leads and how they worked and how they approached and how they worked with the director. And some of them had totally different approaches of how to get to their character, you know. Mm -hmm. With some of them, it was almost like a spiritual thing where the character became part of their being. And others, it was pushing a button. It was a black and white, well, I'm a painting, here I am, you know. But to watch each person and their process and their procedure uh, just gave me such a wonderful background, you know. And, And finally, three, four years later, when I did become pro, you know, to go to go to a show and they'd have two weeks rehearsal. I thought, this is crazy. What are we going to do with all this time? <laughs> and, of course, they said, no, no. You need the two weeks to develop the characters and to really get the essence and the sense of it. Sure. And yeah. you may, in the middle of rehearsal, uh, have to change the direction that you have the character going in because uh, what you've chosen may, may not be working. Just not working. Yeah. Yes, it needs to be on some. Yeah. And there were different different directors throughout a summer, too, right? Yes, uh, uh, with the seven shows. The very last show was usually done by uh, Lindsay Little Theatre. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, Ed Waterhouse, which is a, a voice from the past. He ran the Sunoco station. Ed Waterhouse would often play the villain, and the people just loved him, you know. <laughs> the place would be packed, and as soon as he came on, they'd start booing him because he was a bad guy. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, the last show would be put on by the uh, Lindsay Little Theater, and the seven prior to that. Each, well, they wouldn't all be different casts, but you know, the guy in the first show might be in the fourth show. Right. Yeah. Uh, if he had time to clear his uh, clear his mind. And did the actors, uh, like throughout the summer, did they come and go, or did they stay up here, or? or Mo- well, work? most of them would stay here for the week. Yeah. And if they had another show, uh, they'd stay. But a lot of them uh, were at Toronto actors, and there's quite a hustle there. Mm-hmm. So it uh, befits them to be back in Toronto and and looking for another part and picking right. up right. another yeah. part at the same time. Yeah. You know. But just amazing people to learn a show in uh, yeah. in four days. What and a, I a, think the shows were pretty good. That's every indication yeah. was that you were yeah. a big hit. Yeah. So, uh, Ray Marshall was telling me about the uh, the the voters would come in and and set up the barbecues on, in Mill Park. Yes, and yes. Uh, at six o'clock, and then they would be at the at the front yeah, door um, of the theater, Cordate. Dennis and Maggie, and yeah. God God bless Ray. He taught me an awful lot. Uh, Dennis and Maggie established that the theater was a thing, a place, an event, and a happening. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and you wanted to be part of that. Yeah. And especially with these shows that were learned in four days. I mean, you didn't know what was going to happen on stage. Yeah. That was part of the excitement. Sure. But they pulled it off. <laughs> and uh, um, a lot of talk around the lake. And all of a sudden, instead of four boats, like Ray was talking about, there would be eight or twelve. Yeah. You know, yeah. And uh, uh, Dennis and Maggie, to me, 
had a magic about them. And there's uh, only certain people. Uh, Ron Ulrich had that magic. He ran a number of theaters across Canada. Uh, Donnie Bowes, who runs Upper Canada Playhouse mm -hmm. in Morrisburg, has that magic. He knows his audience in that area. He, it would be Ottawa, people say, would come to Upper Canada Playhouse. Yeah. Uh, but he understood his audience, and he chose his play, and he chose his people and his actors, you know, that, yeah. so that they related to the audience that was already there. Yeah. So there was already a comfort. And here was, was, it was just an excitement. There was a buzz in the, in the audience before the show. That uh, in a lot of theaters later on in my life I never heard, mm -hmm. and uh, again I'll always go back to Dennis and Maggie. But uh, he would take that chance, you know. Imagine because people told him, "No, no, you, you can't. You can't do one show a week. It's impossible. The actors can't do it. You can't." And and he went ahead because he believed. Mm -hmm. There's a big two big words I I love. I uh, curiosity and belief. And I've held them close to my soul all my acting career. Mm -hmm. um, even the times you fell down and, and didn't make it, you still held on. Okay, curiosity. What happened there? Why, why did I miss that? And belief was, did I stop believing in myself a bit to pull that character through mm -hmm. and so on? So I've always carried those two words. And then... How are we doing on talking? We're doing great. Okay. We're doing great. This is fascinating stuff. Dennis and Maggie, uh, we're going to be kind of concentrating on them this this particular episode of the of the podcast. And Ray Marshall talked about them. You've been talking about them. Jim Brown talked about them. Um, they they sounded like and I never had the opportunity to meet them, but they sounded like incredible people. And um, do you know anything about the accident that that happened to to Dennis and, and Maggie towards the end of their? Yeah, actually, uh, uh, we didn't think Dennis was going to pull through. Was it a car accident? Yes, Is that what it was? yes, yeah. and uh, um, it it changed everything because not only were they both the center of that, but they were the the magic ingredient that kept it together that one can't identify, one can't go and stick that on the wall and go, that's that. Yeah. No, you, there was a, a Dennis and Maggie that made things work. There was a balance between the two of them. Um, Dennis gave a lot of people their starts. Dennis had a sense of people, and sometimes. Uh, one of the stories I tell was at uh, uh, 28, uh, I was down in the office and I thought, this is time. And I said to Dennis, I think I'm ready. And he said, yes, okay. And then he turned around and said, for what? And I said, I'm ready to go pro. I'm 28 now. I've been doing bit parts for four or five years. You know, I work with the guys. Ask Ray Marshall. I work hard. It's all there. So, and Dennis said, come here for a while and we'll just have a little chat. And we went into the office, and he shut the door. And before that 20 minutes was over, I had cried because he said, Doug, you're not ready to be a professional actor. And it broke my heart. But it also told me, here was kind of that father image of all the theater I knew, mm -hmm. saying, you're not ready. And uh, 
if if a gentleman of, of that type and that ilk and all his being would say that, then I've got to listen. I've got to take what he said. And so I spent the next two or three years still doing small parts. And uh, um, I'd almost forgotten about going to Dennis and, and uh, almost suggesting to him that I was ready, you know. <laughs> and at 28, and at about 32, he said, uh, Oh, uh, one summer, he was down in his office, and I was age 32 now, four years older, not that that made a lot of difference, but I think it did, in a way. And he said, I've got another part for you. I said, oh, okay, okay. Oh, uh, I can't do it. And Dennis said, why? And I said, because if I do one more part, I, I go pro. And he said, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> so he said, come in, just like we did the last time, into the office. And he shut the door and he said, Doug, I think you're ready. That extra four years has broadened you out. You've seen so much more. You realize that theater can be all things. Theater yeah. can be all that life is. Yeah. And we'll present that to you. And you're going to discover things about yourself and about the wonderful people around you and who they are and how they get there. And Dennis said, I believe in you. There's that word believe. Yeah, right. And that was all I needed. And... Uh, I can remember that night of that show, my knees banged together. <laughs> I was so nervous because I was going to be a pro. Mm -hmm. After all these years of just working around the edges and touching the edges and and listening to the, the senior actors and the people who Dennis brought in who were so good with their advice and their stories and, and their philosophy and yeah. the way they approach stuff. So... Um, for the first, I guess, year and a half, I didn't stop working. I worked in Toronto and uh, got work, and I thought, oh, this is this is like nothing. <laughs> and the next year and a half, I had nothing, not one job, wow. not anything. Yeah. So uh, I started to realize all the things that Dennis had talked about, you know. And it, there was a wonderful thing, because sometimes Dennis would say, a suggestion to you and Maggie would come by and she just kind of put the whipped cream on top of the cake you know <laughs> yeah. because she knew she was more the observer in a way she got things done in her own mm -hmm. way believe me but Dennis was a dreamer mm -hmm. you know and Maggie was a little more practical and got things in line but uh, when that accident came uh we thought everything was done and everything was over. It was very serious, you know. And, and Dennis talked about they thought he was dead on the table. Wow. Yeah. yeah, at that time. Where did it happen, do you know? No, I think Pickering Way or something oh, between yeah. here and Toronto. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry I'm not, uh, no, that's all right. not accurate there. But uh, Dennis coming back was what you expected of what this man is that makes a summer theater work. It is very difficult to make a summer theater to please 500 different people a night yeah. and try to bring that to them and, and to keep the actors on top and to keep the crew. He had a wonderful crew, that a crew that would die for him. Yeah. They just, you know, and they finally uh, uh, got places right across from the theater. 
and they could work in those barns and so on and build the sets right there. When uh, when I first started to help out, I used to go over late at night and they used to uh, paint sets in the old mill way up on the third floor and there was straw and everything. But anyway, I'd go there to work nights. I worked at my dad's store in the day. Go there to work with Bob Daniels, an absolute wonderful artist. And uh, uh, he'd work for three, four hours painting and then sleep for two hours and then get up and finish that. <laughs> and I, there's one little trip on top of that. Dennis had hired uh, a younger man from the Detroit Symphony. And he came in and he watched Bob in particular, Bob Daniels doing all this work, and, and then I came along and helped. And he said, you two are quite amazing, both of you. I've got to go to New York to see a friend. I'm going to go to three or four Broadway shows, and we're going by train, and could you get $100 someplace in a mm -hmm. week? And and I'll head up the trip because I know New York yeah. and I know where we can go. Well, boy, somehow, you know, we got the $100 because... And I went to four Broadway shows. Wow. I might have been 19 or 20. But imagine at that age getting to yeah. see that, you know. Jeez. And the gallery. And so the difference, the people that Dennis would bring, uh, it wasn't just, oh, I'll hire you. He brought in exceptional people, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, Ray Marshall is a beautiful example of yeah. that. Yeah. He just, just from just starting to becoming a theater manager to running theaters entirely, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. No, he's a gem. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And Jim Brown, too. I, I so enjoyed oh. talking to Jim. Oh, yes, yes. Wonderful. And those uh, guys on the board that uh, kept the other end going. Yeah, you right. know. There's a balance there. Exactly, and there has to be. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. And other voices need to speak and need to be heard. Yep. You know, so the board would represent that. Mm -hmm. And also, I think Dennis got uh, uh, insight into what other people were thinking beyond, mm -hmm. you know, you get your theater mind and, exactly. and you're running yeah. the summer theater. That should be enough on its own. But uh, Dennis would listen. Didn't always go, yeah, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. But he he certainly would listen. Mm -hmm. And and you could speak to him about anything. All the time through. I just I just think there there was magic in these people. No, oh, that's great. And yeah. then he brought in special people I like. He brought in a Ray Marshall. Yeah. Do you know? These are special people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And some of the actors uh, uh some of the actors you brought in were just people you'd never forget. Yeah. And uh, sometimes they'd be with you and go, now, here's an idea that you might think about, but just think about it. You, what you're doing's fine. And, you know, so I'd listen to Colin Miller or somebody, and, uh, by God, you know, you'd do the little thing he said, stop, say the line, then exit. All of a sudden, you got an applause at the <laughs> at the end of your part, and yeah. it was so small. But they they knew the technical ways, yeah. and so then after I'd go in search of what was it that caused that to happen, and well, they'd always say, "Figure it out for yourself." But you know, there was a small technical thing that you had to be aware, and um, 
wonderful thing about theater is it really teaches you about all around you and everyone else around you mm -hmm. and where they're at. And yeah, it's a team sport, that's for sure. Yes, yeah. yes. Just to switch gears for a little bit here, um, your uncle was Hymean. Yes, yes. Do you have many recollections of him? Oh, well, I, I was uh, nine or ten, and he was a, a larger, kind of grander gentleman, you know, that would almost fill a room when he came in. Uh, he had a dispro, and a lot of people don't know what a dispro is. It's a type of boat where actually the propeller came out the sides. That was back in the 50s. Really? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that, I'll let you do your research on the dispro. Okay. But uh, Hymen was uh, uh, maybe larger than life. But now, I didn't know him at the time. He owned the Academy Theater. There were several years there mm -hmm. where he was the actual uh, owner of yeah. the Academy Theater. Yeah. So I don't know much on that because I wasn't here at that time. But certainly had a sense of... Uh, of that building, and a sense of the grandeur, because he was very proud of that building, as all of Lindsay should be, or sure. all the community. Uh, there is a magic in the building, and um, you know they talk about spirits or ghosts. Well, I just say that there is so much energy given off on that stage, of, of different types and of different uh, sorts and from different backgrounds, that uh, that kind of floats in the air. Another little thought that I have that might be you, um, is that sometimes people don't let the spirit of the character they're playing go. They don't release them. Mm -hmm. This is only me talking, and, and this is only this actor's thoughts. But I think you need to let them go at the end of the show. And if you don't let them go, that energy stays there. And so there you start to get a haunting uh, way beyond right. what, the, what the other stories right. might be. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there were yeah. wonderful things. Uh, I think it was another Marx Brothers, but there was talk that the Marx Brothers actually were on stage here mm -hmm. when they did the vaudeville in the yeah. 20s. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know what your research is taking it to. Yeah, according to what I've found so far, 1904, I think they were here. Wow. And um, Groucho wasn't known as Groucho back then. He was yes. still Julian. Yeah, and, okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, actually, we're going to be doing a little a little bit on that. I've been I've been touching on the vaudeville years kind of all the way through. Yes, yes. And so we're going to be doing another little A different kind of there. entertainment. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, they used to do A Gentleman Be Seated which yep. was a minstrel show. Yeah, that's right. And the singing was wonderful. Yep. Absolutely. And some magic. incredible music that came out of that era. Yes. That um, yes. we touch on too in our in our podcast. And um we have um Mary who's our ghost yes. in the yes. podcast. Yes. She uh she's going to do a vaudeville song every month. Wonderful. So, yeah, Wonderful. So, well, so in the February uh, episode coming up, she's going to be doing Let Me Call You Sweetheart, which was, excellent. of course... I'm in love with you, yeah, yes. because of Valentine's Day. So, yeah, so that'll be great fun. You know, I, 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 think, um, I think it just was a center of an energy and an entertainment. Yep. And entertainment is a very special word. It can touch many sides of whatever you are. You That's know, right. As a... 
as a being. And so for one building to unite together to bring that over the years, yep. over the years, even when it was a movie theater. Sure. You know, it was still entertainment. Sure, absolutely. And uh, when we do big uh, community uh, uh, musical productions, you know, somebody to organize it, my goodness, God bless them. Because there'd be 30 or 40 people on stage. Oh, sure. Know, and 30 or 40 people helping out behind. That's right. And what a wonderful thing. But right. what a wonderful energy. Absolutely. And the community loved it, you yeah. know, because it was their yeah. Uncle Charlie or, <laughs> or uh, you know, the, yeah. the neighbor's granddaughter that was singing the part. That's right. That's right. So that theater has, uh, it's bigger than it is. I Yes. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. You're right. Yes. Yeah. There's a, a a large aura I in my mind. Yeah. Around it. And after uh when I was first starting out, uh after the shows, I used to sit on the lip of the stage and just take twenty minutes just to gather in well, what you've done yourself and what you can do with that for the next night. And um, your fellow actors, some things they did, so I could learn from that, could pull from that. Mm -hmm. um, but just to sit on the lip of that stage for 15 or 20 minutes after a show, and just imagine what had been there before you, yeah. and just imagine what would be coming. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, you know, we don't know which way it goes. Uh, summer theater might come back in 12 years. It seems to have a cycle, and it mm -hmm. seems, needs a certain kind of spirit and person. Right. Special people. Yeah. It. And needs a time and an audience. You know, the, the overall community needs to feel a want or a need yeah. uh, to find that entertainment. So, uh, anything you do about the Academy, and I'm in. I mean, I'm... I'm Grateful he was my great uncle. Yeah, that's great. Jeez. Grateful he is just to have that connection. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to thank you for your time today. This has been wonderful. My, my pleasure. I hope uh, some of it was gathered from the from the space and the aura. And old <laughs> memories aren't sharp. No, that but, that's know, just uh, wonderful. The stories are just great. I I had somebody when I was first starting out with this podcast. Somebody asked me, "How long do you think it's going to last?" Yeah. Podcast. Yeah. I said, "Well, how long do you think the theater's going to be open?" <laughs> yes. Because there's so yes. much. Yes. There's so many stories. Yes. There it's is, unbelievable. There is a forever. In oh, there, absolutely, isn't there? absolutely. You know, uh, yeah. one of the problems uh, I say to people uh, when you have a theater, it's like the child that never leaves home. <laughs> you are going to be looking after it. Yep. Or depending on someone special to come in and help look after it. Yeah. Uh, probably forever. Yeah, that's true. But what it gives to you is is not a sweater. <laughs> it gives it gives to you a feeling. Yeah. And it can give to you an I belong. Yeah. That's and true. and this is part of my community. Yeah. And this is part of where I belong. And and we've got to take the people in who haven't been there before. Mm-hmm. You know, whether we take them by the hand and yeah. just sit with them during a show, yeah. that's, that's okay. Right. Absolutely. Let them see it. Thank you for uh, Thank you. My, my pleasure. It was great. Pleasure. A few years ago, I became aware of another fellow named Randy Reed who lived in this area. 
He was apparently involved in the arts in Peterborough, and he even spelled his last name the same way I do, R-E-A-D. One summer's evening, I attended a concert at Del Crary Park in Peterborough and was walking around the outskirts of the park where they have a walk of fame, paying tribute to many important folks in Peterborough's history. As I was strolling along looking at the names, I stopped dead in my tracks when I came across a stone dedicated to Randy Reed. I was suitably impressed and even had my picture taken with the stone just in case I ever needed a boost to my career. Last month, I did a show in Peterborough, and after I finished, a gentleman came up and introduced himself as Randy Reed. I was very pleased to finally get a chance to meet this fella, and as we chatted, I discovered that he had a connection to the Academy Theater. So naturally, I wanted to talk further, so we set up a date and time for a chat. We'll be playing a bit of that chat this month, and then we'll let you hear some more of it in future episodes. Here, then, is a bit of my conversation with Randy Reed. All right, Randy, thank you so much for joining us. We, uh, we really appreciate taking the time. So, uh, so I grew up in this little village, Mount Pleasant, out Sherbrooke Street, 150 people. And uh, I knew when I was 12 that I, I wanted to work in the theater. I wanted to be an actor. I was a pretty lonely kid. Uh, and I remember my mother would let me stay up and watch award shows. And I just, what I loved about them was everybody that won something would talk uh, about the collaborative element of the theater and of, of, uh, of the industry. And uh, I thought, wow, I would love to be part of something like that, just to be a, a team. And as it turns out, theater is a team sport. You know? That's what it is. I finally decided when I went to Trent, I decided I wanted to. When I started at Trent, I still had these friends from St. Peter's, but then there was a, a whole other world presented to me, you know. And there was a there was theater happening at Trent, and then I met some people there with the thoughts similarly, and uh, suggested I go to the theater guild. So I uh, did a play there. I was I don't know how I did this, Randy, but uh, I literally worked night shifts at Dominion from midnight till eight. Wow. Uh, went to school during the day the, to Trent and rehearsed plays in the evening either oh. at Trent or the and I would grab an hour's sleep here. I was gonna say there. when did you sleep? Uh, very little and yeah. just as I could grab it. But I was young and I just could do it. Yeah. Could never do it now. But uh and probably happy to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah I was, yeah. So then, but sort of before that, I'm, I have to backtrack slightly, because when I got to Trent, I, wa- I, I wanted to decide I wanted to do this, but I had no clue really how to go about it. So, uh, uh, you know who Agnes Moorhead was? Oh, I know the name. So her big thing, oh, she was nominated for an Oscar five times, but she, her big thing was playing Endora, the mother-in-law, and Bewitched. Okay, yes. yes. I know who she is. So I was reading the Globe and Mail in the dining hall at Peter Robinson at Trent and uh, saw that she was doing a play at what was then the O'Keefe Center. I have no idea what the hell okay. it's called now because it's changed no, the name I so many it. times. Yeah. And I, so I decided to... Oh, she wouldn't... Could advise me what to do. So I wrote her a letter. 
It wasn't a fan letter. It was mm-hmm. a letter seeking advice. And I never heard anything back. So I, I went, decided to get on the bus and go to Toronto oh. on Saturday. I went to the stage door at the O'Keefe Center and uh, asked if I could see her. And the stage door, very nice guy, said, uh, oh, I don't think so. She's had a Do Not Disturb sign in her door since she got here. And he was telling me this. This woman came into the lobby area where we were. I can still see her. She was just perfectly, she had like a mink jacket on her hair. She just kind of perfection, not overdone, but just, you know, like, obviously a very moneyed person. She was very firm. Miss Moorhead is not seeing anyone. And I said, oh, I, oh, was hoping. I said, I came on the bus from Peterborough. I was hoping. She said, from where? And I said, Peterborough? Do you know Peter? She said, and she said, I still see it. She said, oh, you're the one that wrote that letter. Um, she said, just a minute. So she left and came back and she said, Agnes Moorhead would see me. And she, Agnes Moorhead had me in her dressing room, served me tea. Wow. And she gave me very standard advice, uh, you know, uh, go to church uh, if you can get up, anywhere you can get up on a stage in front of people do it no matter what the yeah. situation and uh, remember she asked me if I could write and I said no she said well what the theater really needs is writers actors are a dime a dozen so she gave me all this standard advice and then when I was just as I was leaving uh, she said don't forget uh, the free person is the disciplined person discipline will bring you freedom. I had no clue what she was talking about then, but of course, I'm sure you know now what she meant. Yep. I mean, you, it's like, uh, well, like we were talking about uh, the dancers earlier. You know, if you, if you learn the lines or the dance move or whatever, if you work your ass off and know them so well that you don't have to think about them, you just know they're there. Yeah. The discipline of that allows you to be free and That's right. just fly when you uh, get out there. Yeah. It took me a long time to understand that yeah. and to know what, what no, she meant. But anyway, so that gave me the courage to... You know, I did a play at Trent, and uh, uh, and Dennis Sweeting came to see me in it. And uh, uh, Did you invite him, or he just showed up? No, I, no he just, I didn't invite him. I didn't invite yeah. him. Uh, the play was Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and I played Big Daddy and that was kind of the interesting thing about that for me was uh, I don't normally say this kind of thing but I was really good and I was really good because I didn't know anything because I just I remember just like a kid accepting oh I have cancer I'm dying okay just believing it just simply believing it and Responding accordingly, and I remember, you know, at one point I had to say to my son, Brick, "Why do you drink?" And just, "Why do you drink?" You know, like just really believing everything I said. Yeah. And then I thought, and then it was so thrilling. Oh my God, I love this! I love this! I love this! <laughs> then I started reading books, taking. I got worse and worse and worse, and I've been working to get back to being that good ever since. Even though I'm seventy years old, I was like twenty-three then, because there's a instinctual thing that happens but as you know you realize when you get older that was like a three night run you know that you you need more than that instinct to carry you through a a long run of a play or or whatever you know Uh, so I'm 
I'm getting closer, but I keep uh, keep working to yeah. try and get back to be, to being as simple as I was at the beginning, right. you know, yeah. frankly. So that's the first part of my conversation with Randy Reed. We'll be playing more of that chat um, in future episodes. He's a really interesting guy. And the thing that kind of strikes me about, about getting together with him was what are the chances, first of all, that I would meet someone who has the same name as me, same spelling. We grew up about 30 clicks apart, not knowing one another. We are both involved in the arts and have been for our entire professional lives. And he has, and so do I, of course, a connection to the Academy Theatre. What are the chances? Okay, I'm back with Ian McKechnie, and we're going to talk about a couple of memories of the theatre. Ian, tell me about some of your early memories of, of coming to the Academy. So my earliest recollection of the Academy would have been in the sort of waning days of Kawartha Summer Theatre. I don't ever recall coming to see a Kawartha Summer Theatre production. I was too young. Um, and at the time, this is the mid-1990s, we were living out of town, down on Tower Road in the former Ops Township. So getting, you know, three kids into the car, my sister was only, you know, a year or two years old at the time, and into Lindsay, that was considered an excursion. It wasn't like today where, you know, I usher at the theater right now and I will walk down maybe two or three times a month for ushering duty. Um, and it's still magical, I want to make that very clear, but when you're living out of town and you only come into the academy maybe once, twice a year, that's something special. Mm -hmm. It's like going to the big city if you're coming from out in the country in Ops Township. So my earliest recollection of coming to the academy was on March 5th, 1997. And we came to see Mr. Dressup. Um, alias Ernie Coombs, or shall we put that the opposite uh, opposite way, Ernie Coombs, alias Mr. Dressup. And Ernie Coombs had retired from doing his um, television show on CBC the year before, in 1996. Um, but he was still very much uh, active in theatrical and in um, performing arts circles. And for about a I think it was about a couple of years, he went across Canada with a, a traveling um, road show um, that featured him and his famous uh, and very colorful tickle trunk. And this was put together by a company called Don Jones Productions. Uh, Coombs, after doing television, well, before doing television, he uh, was an amateur performer himself down in his native Maine, I believe is where he was from. And after he did uh, almost 30 years of Mr. Dressup, on uh, CBC television, he went back kind of into the, the world of the stage. So and he also performed in different pantomime shows, that kind of thing. So it was March 5th, 1997, that's what it says in the ticket stub that we still have. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just remember sitting in the old um, black and red chairs, and I remember that the red uh, leather in those chairs looked like the bag of like a Pizza Hut delivery bag almost. And uh, looking up and being fascinated by that grill work on either side of the stage. Um, when the theater was built, this is roughly where the so-called private boxes would have been. And I just remembered thinking, what's behind that? Um, so even then, as a six-year-old, 
the academy had this sort of air of an aura of mystery to it, which which was really fascinating. And then after Mr. Dressup um, did his um, sort of song and story routine on the stage, um, my brother Alan and I got to go up um, along with all the other children that were there and meet this absolute icon of Canadian children's television. Um, and he, he signed our ticket stubs and uh, and we have somewhere at home in a photo album um, a picture of, of yours truly kind of you know looking up in awe at this uh, at this gentleman so that was um, that was a memory and then also in about 19 oh I would have been in grade one uh, Jack Callahan at the time Jack Callahan public school and uh, this would be probably December of 97 uh, thereabouts and all of the primary classes, or the grade one classes at least, at Jack Callahan, um, went to the Academy Theater to do a Christmas concert. And I remember having a tremendous case of stage fright. I, I had no interest in being up there performing. I, I leave that to professionals, not to rank amateurs like myself. Uh, but we did, you know, the usual set of, um, of Christmas songs and Christmas carols, and, uh, and that was uh, probably the first time I was actually on the stage of the Academy. Um, I try to avoid it and sit in the audience. So that was another early recollection. And then I do remember probably about 1999 thereabouts, um, going with my parents to see a production of The King and I uh, musical. And again, it was the same thing. I think we were still living out of town at the time. So going into Lindsay on a, a summer night or an autumn night or whenever it was, it was a big deal. Um, and as you get older and become, you know, a more regular visitor to the theater, uh, as I say, that magic is still there, but it really can't compare it to when you're a kid um, and you come on those rare occasions to the theater. Right, yes. No, I, I totally get it, totally get it. Thank you for sharing that, I appreciate it. We are here with our friend Craig Metcalf at the Academy, and we're going to be talking about the upcoming events in March. Well, thanks, Randy. We do have a few events coming up in March. We start with, on March the 4th, Spotlight Dance is doing their competitive showcase. On March 5th, Sunday, we have Zach Mansfield doing the music of Andrew Lloyd Webber. That is certainly becoming more popular. I can see the, the ticket sales increasing there. We also have Sin City Illusions on uh, St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, and it features Matt DeZero, a magician who uh, did appear on Penn & Teller's Fool Us. So uh, that will be a great show. We also have Grace 2, a tribute to the Tragically Hip on March 25th. And uh, April 1st, Elton Sean, a tribute to Elton John. I'm assuming. We also, as a theater, have our annual general meeting on March 28th. So if you would like to attend, please buy a membership in the box office, either in person or over the phone. And it's uh, all in with the tax uh, $25. That's it. That's it. Sounds good. Thank you, sir.
All right, before we go, let's touch base again with Mary and see if she's found herself an Irish tune to do. Mary, it's all you. When Irish eyes are smiling, sure tis like the morning spring in the A beautiful tune. Thank you, Mary. That'll be it for this episode. Thank you very much for joining us. Special thanks to Warren Frank, Renee Frank, William McGinn, and all the cast of characters that we presented to you this month. I hope you have a great month, and we will talk to you in the month of April. Take care. Please support the arts. It's important. When Irish eyes are smiling, shootest we heed your heart away. When Irish eyes are smiling, sure twill steal your heart away.